Well, great morning, everybody. Great morning. Y'all all right? Good, good, good. Well, my name is North Lutt Shoemaker. I'm the worship director here. And uh, I get the awesome privilege to hang out with you some, this morning and kind of share the word. And so that's exciting for me. Uh, if you will, uh, I invited the first service to do this, so I'm going to invite you to do the same. Uh, I want you to stand up one more time. Yeah, it's not Catholic, so it's okay, up and down, no. okay. <laughs> Stand up one more time. And I just want you to open your mouth and give God a praise. The Bible says, you know, uh, that, uh, that every, let everything that has breath do what? Praise, praise ye the Lord. All right, so go. Hallelujah. 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 God, we magnify you. We bless your holy name. There's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. Um, here's a little secret for you. The secret is that praise is not personality driven. So it doesn't matter what your personality is because we don't praise because of our personality. We praise because of his goodness and because of who he is. And so... Uh, and in fact, the scriptures teaches that, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you want God to inhabit your moment, then you should have a praise break. Amen. Throw a little personal praise party and give him what he's due. Amen? Amen. You can sit down. Uh, this morning I want to uh, continue uh, the series or the study of First Peter called Game Changers, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Influence. Now, many of you know that uh, some of the young people that come up here singing, in fact, my son was singing this morning, uh, they belong to me, and my wife and I are so incredibly blessed to have some incredible kids. We got some great kids. You're welcome. <laughs> she was looking all cheesy. And, uh, but as I look at the landscape of our country, I, I kind of see that the United States of America that I live in, or that I grew up in, is different than the one they live in. Culturally, right? In fact, the one that I grew up in was different than my parents and my parents, my grandparents. The, the landscape of this nation culturally is changing. And it's changing more and more and more to a country where we uh, are discovering the reality of what it really means to be sojourners in a foreign land. Right? Sometimes you look around and you're like, where am I? This doesn't look like the America I grew up with. Maybe that's just me. And, you know, I believe that we are an incredibly blessed nation. And, uh, and I believe that we, and I pray, that we will continue to be an incredibly blessed nation. But as the landscape of this country is changing, who we are is of great importance. Who we are in our local communities, who we are in our homes, is of utmost importance. And Peter encourages us that who we are makes a greater difference and a greater impact than where we are and what we are experiencing. In fact, uh, in my own ways, in my own words, I hear Peter saying it like this. I hear Peter saying, I know you are in a strange place, and I know you are living among strange people, living under some pretty difficult conditions, but his charges be different. Now, here's my little disclaimer. My disclaimer is, uh, he said, be different, don't be weird. Y'all know some weird Christians. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
Some of y'all are like, I don't know any weird Christians. Well, that's probably because that's... <laughs> right? But he's, he's calling us. He says, listen, it's, it's for us to be different. Be holy as the Lord is holy. Holy, separate for the Lord's use. Uh, be other, be different. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be different. Think differently. Live differently. Strange place, strange people, difficult conditions, but what? Be different. See, Paul is, uh, Peter's writing, Peter's one of the, the apostles, one of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose, and he says uh, Peter's writing to the diaspora. And the diaspora in the Greek, uh, the word means to scatter, or it comes from the root meaning to sow throughout. So literally as if God was sowing seeds when he placed you where you are. He sowed you there. So that means that you are where you are on purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. This is a day that you made. And Lord, we make a decision to rejoice and to be glad. God, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the Holy Ghost. You say your anointing destroys every yoke. So God, I pray that you would destroy yokes today. God, I pray that uh, I would decrease and that you would explode. Well, we just rest in your presence right now. I thank you that you are here even now. God, I thank you that you prepared a heart for a message and a message for a heart. And God, that you would do only what you can do. That today you would give sight to the blind. You cause the deaf to hear. The mute to sing. The lame to dance. That you would even raise the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. You see, where we are right now, where you are, is not an accident. God has planted us where we are. It's not by chance or by the whim of a parent. You know, dad looked at mom and he gave her that wink, and all of a sudden you're here, right? Or you're not here because, you know, you got transferred because, you know, for business. No, you aren't here because God planted you here. You are here by the will of God. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something. If you are in a difficult situation, God didn't plant you here so you can have a hard time. Amen. But God planted you here in the midst of your hard time that you would bring glory to his name. See, the question is, who will you see in a tough situation? Will you see the Lord high and lifted up over your circumstances? Or will you see your circumstances high and lifted up over your God? That becomes a question. See, Isaiah 61 and 3 says this. It says that they shall be called, talking about you, talking about you as believers, they shall be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So God calls you his planting, his seed. He sowed you. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says this. He says, I got foreordained your boundaries in the times, in the season that you would be. So God knew that you would be in the United States at this time. 
in the midst of being around some strange people in a strange place, possibly under some difficult conditions. Why? So that you could be different. That you would not be like everybody else. See, we are where we are so God would be glorified by us taking full advantage of our opportunities to be a game changer. I mean, this is the Game Changer series. And to be a game changer is simply that, an opportunity. Y'all may not believe this, but I actually looked up what it meant to be a game changer. And there's actually a definition. Who knew? A game changer is defined as a person, an event, an idea, or a procedure that affects a significant shift in the current manner of doing or thinking about something. So literally, the idea of game changers taps into the heart of God to help us cause a significant shift in the current way things are done and the way things are thought about, that God placed you here to create a shift in your community. Woo! God created you with purpose. To change the way that people do things, to, th- to change the way the way people think about things. God planted you there to be a game changer. That's good, y'all. Hmm. It's God's heart, it's his plan, it's his desire for each one of us to take advantage of the game-changing moment that happened in our hearts when we surrendered and decided to follow Jesus. Listen, a God encounter is a game-changing moment that creates other game-changing moments. Peter had a game-changing moment. He had a game-changing moment one day when he was with his brother, and they were kind of curiously following Jesus from a distance. They were kind of, is that Jesus? And, they were following, and all of a sudden, Jesus turned to them, And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So if we follow him, he will make us. Anybody want to be made? Just follow him. That's right. See, there was a moment that caused a shift in Peter's heart, and if we allow it, it'll cause a shift in our own hearts, our homes, our neighborhoods, and the city, our state, the country, and even the world. Can you imagine that God would cause you to be a world changer by being a game changer? Amen. Why? Because you buy into this kingdom perspective on how to do life and how to respond to the world and the culture around you. See, people who are game changers are people who understand that they live with an assignment to cause a shift. What if you live with an assignment? I know that sounds like responsibility, right? But see, it's not merely lofty people or high and mighty people that God wants to use. God wants to use people that live with lofty ideas that believe that my life matters to the world around me. Your life matters to the world around you. It's ordinary people who have extraordinary impact because they value their sphere of influence by connecting it to the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say wait. Amen. I heard that up front. The baby said amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, that's funny. The, the first service said amen at that point, too. I, I think y'all like, I know some foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. One translation says that you actually find favor with God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. See, Peter is writing to Christians who are confused by the persecution they're suffering. He's writing to those who may be discouraged by a wicked government or to those who are possibly being mistreated by those in authority over them, rather it be the emperor or their own bosses. And Peter answers their discouragement in this letter. And I think his answer probably goes against the grain of our current cultural norms. Mm-hmm. See, Peter is writing to them like Paul, don't be like the people around you. See, there's a way that people uh, respond that don't have Christ, how they respond to be mistreated. And there's a way that God has called us to respond when we feel like we're being mistreated. Mm-hmm. See, Peter exhorts these Christians, and he identifies them like a two-sided coin. The, the, the one side is the coin that says, listen, you guys are aliens, you're exiles, you're sojourners, you're strangers. And the other side, he called them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, chosen by God. He says, listen, you are exiles, and you are strangers, and you're sojourners, because, listen, I don't want you to, to, I want you to hold loosely to the country you're in. Paulus teaches, listen, I need you to live into your citizenship in heaven and not into your citizenship in the earth. 
some of us think that we're going to change the landscape of our country because of our citizenship in America. But no, it's that you change the scope of a country by your ambassadorship with Christ. That you represent him. And he calls them a holy nation, a peculiar people, chosen race. Why? Because he wants you to live into your high calling. It's a call that says, listen, you're not like your neighbors. It's a call that says, listen, be holy. Yes, strange people, strange place, difficult conditions, but be holy. Be different. Be unique. Be other. To the point that the people around you say, there's something different about them. They live differently. I don't know what it's about you. I don't know what it is, but man, that's some good stuff. God desires that we live into that holy calling. See, as we read this story, uh, read this letter, Peter, it's, it's almost like he's, he's pleading with them. He's pleading, saying, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Can you imagine that? That, that Peter's writing and says, listen, this is more about the Lord than it's about you. He says, live into your holy calling. It's more about the Lord than it's about you. In fact, he gets very much kingdom-minded. It's not a political move that Peter's going for. He's teaching us the holy way, the different way, the set-apart way to respond to government. You see, how we respond tells us much more about us, whether we've conformed to this world or if we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. How you respond tells us more about you than it tells us about them. Amen. I'm smiling. (laughs) He says, He says, whether to emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him, submit to them. Hmm. See, Peter's Peter's talking to him saying, listen, you have to have the right mindset. If you want to silence the foolishness of foolish people or the ignorance of foolish people, Peter says, do good. See, it's not our fight or flight responses that change a nation. It's our spirit-led mindsets. In fact, Peter takes it a whole nother step, and he says that this is the will of God, that in the midst of unjust suffering, we do good. And the good that we do will silence the foolishness of ignorant folk. It's a high calling. Peter continues almost by saying we should live as free people. Free from what? Free from the grips of sin that causes us to live out our physiology. You know what the physiology is? That's your fight or flight response. Y'all remember that fight or fight, flight response? Whenever you get an altercation, it's either you fight or you're going to run. See, fight and flight uh, responses are driven by fear. And Peter says, listen, your life should not be driven by fear. So don't live in your physiology. Uh, live into your pneumatology. Live by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Live out of that context, and guess what? You'll start changing the world around you. Hmm. 
See, a spirit response is driven by love. A flesh response is driven by fear. Hmm. So Peter says, be free from the hook of cultural context or political biases, not allowing our freedom to cover up the evil in our hearts, but at all times living as servants of God. Now, I want you to hear something. Peter is not writing from a context of good political leadership. He's not writing from a context of godly leadership. Peter's writing from a context of very pagan leadership and a pagan culture. When you do the his church, uh, do history, you'll find that as Peter's writing, he's talking about a man named Nero. Nero was the emperor of that day. And Nero was a wicked man. This is the man who killed his mama. He killed his uncle, some brothers. He burnt down Rome in order to have a construction project because he wanted his way. Well, if they're, you know, in order for me to get my way, I need to burn down Rome. And then he blamed it on the Christians. Yet Peter is saying, honor the emperor. Oh, that's a hard word, y'all. Hmm. See, Peter gives us what I would call his game-changing instructions. He uses three words, one word he uses twice, uh, but it's honor, love, fear, and honor again. See, he's writing uh, to these folks that have been seated in various places and suffering persecution, and he knew, like God, he knows that they are going through hard times. He Peter himself had went through hard times. Peter himself had suffered persecution. But he says, in the midst of hard times, be a game changer. Why? How? By being different. Live into your holy calling. Live in that, you know what? I'm the planning of the Lord. And that will make all the difference. So if you're keeping track, I believe that each one of us has the capacity to become a game changer by following Peter's simple instructions. And these instructions demonstrate the be different. They demonstrate the holy we've been called to. And the first instruction for a game changer is simply honor everyone. Whew, that's simple, right? Can you imagine how our lives would be different, how our communities would be different if we would just simply learn how to honor one another? See, the word honor comes from the Greek word temeo. It's a word that carries the idea of something so valuable that it's held as precious, prized, cherished, uh, treasured, valuable, and very dear. And Peter says for us to honor everyone, including the weird people. See, I, I, I believe this. I believe that some of us are missing out on our miracle that could be right next to us because we haven't learned how to honor the person next to us. And so I want to invite up a friend who, uh, as I've gotten a chance to know her and listen to some of her story, I was like, man, this woman is a game changer because she learned how to honor everyone. So I'm going to invite Karen on up here. Karen, would you come up? Why don't you all give her a hand as she comes up here? Hey, Karen. 
Hi. Good morning. It's afternoon now. So. Good afternoon. So, Karen, uh, many people here may not know that, uh, uh, that you, before you worked at Grace, you were in education, and you've been in education for, tell us. Almost 30 years. 30 years. 30 years in education, and about how many schools did you teach at? Let's just say 20 plus between substituting and actual contracted service. Substituting, okay. So you've, you've been almost everywhere, and you've seen all kinds of things. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what would you say some of the demographics were uh, for a teacher in DPS? You have children who are beneath the poverty level to kids who are quite affluent and um, have working parents with, you know, substantial income. It, it kind of runs the gamut depending on where you are. Yeah, was, it, was it easy? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, was it uh, like working in difficult conditions? I used to... Uh, say that one of the first things you, I learned to do uh, when I started working was, uh, you knew it was a good day, you went to the parking lot and your car was there. <laughs> and you were just happy to see it so you could drive away. But um, no, it wasn't always easy. But uh, it was rewarding. I'm not from here. And the Lord told me to come here to teach. Well, and uh, So God planted you here? He planted me here. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so how would, you, how would you define or describe the impact that you had on some of the students that, uh, you, know, that uh, you taught? Over the years, um, you don't realize what's happening while it's happening, but uh, I will quote what many of my adult students tell me when I run into them now. They say, you were tough, but you were fair. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to think a whole lot of it, but over the years, you start to realize it's one thing to be tough, and it's another thing to be fair. And uh, I honored them, uh, and they respected that. Uh, it didn't have to, you know, you start off yelling, is what I always say when you're a new teacher, because you don't have tools in your tool belt yet to know how to handle things, so you yell. Over time, you don't have to do anything but look or stand. Your presence stops things all by itself, and that's how you sort of know a seasoned teacher and seasoning doesn't come with years in age it's how you've learned to to deal with students but also over time they learn to respect you based on how you treat them if you have something and and they want it and if you say yes they say you know can I have that they, they try you you know if you have a muffin can I have a piece sure you're like really you're gonna give me really give me a piece you asked for it didn't you and then you cut it, and sometimes it would get cut up so in the morning they go, I said, now this is turning into communion. Can I have a little piece of it myself? <laughs> but they were too impressed that you were willing to do it for them. Yeah, so they saw something in you. And I remember you telling me, I mean, you told me a lot of stories. You know, part of the reason that Karen's up here, she'll admit it, because she talks too much. Yes. And, um, and she would tell me about her journey and her life as a teacher, and she told, told me this one story, and they, the kids saw something in you. And they made a request. Can you, can you tell them about the request? Sure. And I don't talk too much as a matter of practice. I talk too much to Norflet, and that's why I'm in this chair. But um, We're just getting a chance to know each other. There is a difference. <laughs> um, one day, uh, there was a student, and uh, he had a lot of things going on. His mom was deceased. He was being raised by his sister. And his sister had a daughter in my class who was his, who was his aunt. And they were in middle school, and he just had a lot of stuff going on. So he had taken some pills, and he had 
been drinking and he had smoked some weed and he was just out of it. And finally he passed out. And when he passed out, it wasn't an hour that I was teaching him, he was uh, upstairs. And the kids came running downstairs and as I later found out, though they weren't saying it to my face, I had become known as, though I wasn't carrying Bibles around or preaching, the church lady. So they came to get me because they said, he passed out on the floor and we need you to come upstairs. And I said, well, who's up there? Because one thing I know many of us know as believers is that there are certain thresholds you try not to, to, to cross. And when they told me whose room, the teacher that was with him, he was a pastor. And all I thought was, oh, no. You know, I, I don't want to go up there, and it's a male pastor, and I'm thinking, oh, you've got the reverend upstairs. No, you need to come, because we need real prayer from you. You've got to come upstairs, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, you know, I already have a little conflict with the pastor and, 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 and who he thinks I am, not so much who I think I am. And I go upstairs, and finally I realize, Lord, i got to give an account to you. When enough kept coming downstairs, I went upstairs, we got on the floor, I prayed for him. The EMS came, you know, we went with him to the hospital, and he was fine, and thank God that he lived. But you don't realize sometimes until things like that happen when they're saying, no, we need you. As they stood there, and they're crying, and they're crying out to the Lord, too, because they see something in you that you don't even know that, that they see. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, Karen's praying about possibly another transition, and we just want to pray with her. Uh, whether she goes back into education, we don't know. But what we do know is that you'll continue to be a game changer, and let's pray. And, uh, Father, I just thank you for, for Karen. I thank you, Lord, uh, uh, for how you've used her. And, uh, Lord, I would even pray, Lord God, the best is yet to come, that a latter would be greater than a former. God, I pray that in Jesus' name, that, Lord, you would open up the doors that you want open and that you would close the ones that you want closed. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift she is to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Karen. That Karen uh, can have that kind of impact is because too often Christians are known for what they're against, right? I mean, the Christians, we're against abortion, we're against gay marriage, we're against, we're against, we're against, we're against. And they don't know us for how we honor and how we love and how we serve. Amen. See, sometimes we treat people like they're the devil to be rebuked. Right? When we should treat them with honor as if they're precious. Well, they're dear and valuable. Like, treat them like they are in God's eyes. And see, I think that some of the challenges that we face is uh, because when we know something about a person, it keeps us from receiving the good in that person. I, I want you to turn with your Bibles with me. Open your Bibles one more time to Matthew uh, chapter 13, 53. And you'll kind of see this spelled out pretty good. When we get offended by what we know, it keeps us from receiving the beauty and the grace that someone has to offer. Matthew 13, verse 53. When you have it, say amen. 
And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet, is of not, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his, home, and his own fam- uh, household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. See, what they knew about him kept them from receiving what was in him. And so, so, you know, in another place it would say that he, him who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Him who receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person's person receives a righteous person's reward. So what does that mean? So if someone comes up to me and they say they're a prophet, I'm not trying to say, take away from them being a prophet. I'll receive him as a prophet. And if he says, Norfolk, go dip in the lake seven times and your big toe going to get healed, and I receive him as the prophet, then I get the reward. What is the reward? My big toe gets healed. Why? Because I don't, I'm not offended by what I know about him to keep me from getting the gift that's inside of him. See, there are people that are sitting right next to you that have a miracle inside of them, but because you're offended with them, you can't get the gift. They listened to Jesus. They were astonished by his teaching, his wisdom, and his mighty works. But they said, isn't this, isn't this, this is Mary's boy. What they know about him. His brother, James, and Judas, and Simon. His sisters are right here. I mean, he's the carpenter's son. And the Bible says that he couldn't do any miracles there. Because they're unbelief. Because they didn't know how to, to honor I remember uh, years ago, uh, as a young kid in ministry, I was about 20, between 21 and 23, I believe. And uh, my pastor went out of town, and he brought in a guest speaker. And the guest speaker preached, and at the end of it, he had an altar call. And uh, he asked me to assist him on the altar call. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the worship leader. I don't do the altar call stuff, right? I'm just, you give me a, a mic and I'll sing. But now you want me to pray for people? You're tripping. So he invited me out to pray. And I'm down there, and I'm almost ashamed, like, okay, what do I do? Like, skip rope, like, I don't want to jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out. I didn't know what to do. And I'm there, and all of a sudden, uh, this uh, uh, small white woman uh, who is from, like, Arkansas. I'm a Detroit kid. I'm a city kid. Uh, almost about to get her doctorate in ministry and divinity, she run, walks up to me. She grabs my hand, and she places them on her head and says, pray for me. And I, I, I'm telling you, it was, it, was, it was amazing. I was shocked. And as, as my hands went to her, I felt electricity leave my arm. It, I was like, oh, my God. It was, it was crazy. But she honored the gift of God in the inside of me and not be offended by what she knew about me as being a 20-something snot-nosed kid. Hmm. Your miracle could be right next to you and you don't even know it. See, the second instruction for a game changer is to love the brethren, fellow Christians. And when Peter says love them, he's using the word agape. 
right? Out of the four Greek words for love, agape is like a high-level love. In the words of Rick Renner, eros is self-seeking love. Stergo is limited only to one's family. It's like, you know. Filio is based on mutual satisfaction and can feel disappointed. But agape love is a love that has no strings attached. It's not looking for what it gets out the deal. It's like, I'm just going to love you unconditionally. And to me, it's kind of amazing because God's expecting us to love one another the way he loves us. With no conditions, no strings. Just love the brotherhood. In fact, in another place, Jesus says, listen, if you only love those who love you, you're just like the world. Be holy. Be different. Live into that holy call that you've been called to. The third instruction for a game changer is to fear God. It's a reverential fear and awe. It would be as Jesus spoke to his disciples. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So as Peter's writing this, he's remembering the words of Jesus to him. Listen, don't fear those that are persecuting, don't persecuting you. Don't fear them. You need to fear God. Like here's another, here's the fourth instruction for a game changer. He says, honor the emperor. What? Now, I told you the context is not Peter living in, with a great, you know, uh, uh, with a godly leader. Nero was a nut. Yet Peter said, honor him. You get this idea that honor is a big deal to God. Listen, the first commandment with promise is honor thy mother and father, and your days will be long on the earth. So God says we need to learn how to honor the authority that's in our life. Treat the authorities in our life as if they are precious, as if they are very dear. But I'm afraid that we live in a generation that has learned how to disrespect all authority. And because of that, they're missing out on the benefits the, re the reward of the authority. Mm. I can tell you this in my own life. And although I didn't go up listen to a lot of hip-hop music, I'm really not a hip-hop head. If you ask me to rap, I would, you know, if you rap, you know, or you die, I would probably die. Because I just can't rap. It's just, I'm not gifted that way. I do with my kids and they're like, oh God, help us. But I can remember growing up with songs that taunt you to disrespect the authorities in the area. And to this day, when I see a police officer, I have to say, wait a minute. Is it going to be a spirit-tempered response or is it going to be physiological? Is it going to be a fight or flight? Because some of the stuff that I grew up listening to. Because we've been trained to disrespect authority. Yet Peter says... Honor it. Hmm. See, our trick is that we're like, well, what if they're undeserving? Honor. See, there's biblical precedence for honoring undeserving leaders. That's good preaching. I know y'all like, what? See, honoring.
Honor does not mean agreement. It just means honor to treat as valuable or precious. See, honor and submission are alike, right? Submission is not submission until you disagree. You can't be like, I've been submitting to you all this time, and, and all I keep saying is, hey, let's go to the mall. And you're like, I want to go to the mall. I will submit. No, you weren't submitting. You wanted to do that. But if I said, let's go to the library, oh, no, oh, no, I was submitting all the time, but not now. Well, that's not submission. Amen, yes. Let me walk back up here because somebody's looking at me with a dart. <laughs> See, there's biblical precedence for honoring dishonorable leaders. You read the story of Daniel, Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, who was a wicked, wicked man in the Scriptures. Wicked man. And when, Daniel, when God gave Daniel a second dream uh, or a vision, or he had to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, uh, Daniel w- was almost apologetic to him, not because he was afraid, but because he honored him. He was like, listen, I wouldn't wish this dream on your enemies, to those who hate you. Why? And he called him my Lord. Why? Because he knew how to honor. David was the man that knew how to honor a dishonorable king. And Saul saw this man was, he was chasing him, pursuing him, trying to kill David. And David had two distinct opportunities to take Saul's life. But David said, listen, touch not thy anointed and do thy prophet no harm. He honored even when the person was not honorable. Hmm. Friend, that means that we need to learn how to honor our leaders. Our leaders in the government. I'm waiting for an amen for that one. Our leaders in the church. Honor. Honor doesn't mean agreement. It just means honor. Treat them as valuable and precious. Yes. <laughs> See, it takes nothing from us to honor another person. In fact, listen, you're not honorable until you learn how to be honoring. That's right. We think if we have all the behaviors right, it's good. But when you, when you can't see somebody, and they may be undeserving, and you can't say, you know what, you know, I'm going to honor this person anyway, then that speaks more about you than it does about them. Thank you. Right? See, David had enough honor inside of him that he, he could He had enough life inside him. He had enough of God's presence inside of him that he can honor a dishonorable leader. Daniel had enough of God in him that he can honor a dishonorable leader. And again, don't don't misunderstand me. Honor does not mean agreement. It just means honor. And if you honor them, the gift that's inside them, you get If you receive a prophet, in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. If I receive a man or, you know, who they are, as who they are, then I receive the reward that's inside them. Amen. I'm about to close. I'm going to cut this short. Uh, But my pastor used to tell me this for years. 
And, and you know, sometimes it can seem self-serving. But I, I pray that you hear the heart of this. If you have a pastor in your life, or you have some authority in your life, and all you see from that pastor is their humanity, then you'll miss the divinity and the grace of God that they have to give to you. So if Pastor Doug is just Doug to you, then all you can get from him is Doug. But if you see him as Pastor Doug, then you get the pastoral anointing that's on his life. That's good preaching. I don't know about that's good preaching. Because you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, and you get the reward. Anybody want? Amen. It takes nothing from you to honor another person. It takes nothing from you. So I, I want to pray that there would be a movement of honor in our communities. And that movement of honor begins with me, begins with you. I mean, come on, mom and dad. Wouldn't y'all just go nuts if your kids start honoring you the way that you know they should? Was that kids clapping their parents? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And you are so good. Your love never fails, never gives up never runs out on me. You're so good. And God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that there would be such a movement of honor in this place. Lord, not just honor to the leadership, but Lord, honor to one another. Lord, that we would not miss out on the value and, and the, the treasure that's hidden in earthen vessels. God, that we would see people the way that you see them. That we would honor everyone. Honor those in our community that, man, they don't seem like they deserve it. But God, you call us to honor them. To love the brotherhood, oh God. Love our, our fellow believers and Christians. Lord, to fear you and not to fear the, the present age. And even, Lord, to honor the king. Lord, I believe that these last few presidents have been the most dishonored presidents in history. And, Lord, I can see that our country is even more divided. Lord, could it be divided not because of politics, but because of dishonor? God, would you use us to be game changers, to cause a shift in the way that people do things and the way that they think? There may be one in here that is, has responded dishonorably, and I don't know who, it, I, I know you in here. Will you just repent and confess that to him? have your personal moment.
Father, forgive us for how we've treated those around us. How we may not have valued them. And I thank you, Lord, that we receive grace upon grace upon grace. I thank you, Lord, that you are good. You're better than good. And I pray that you keep us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the closeout of that scripture says this, that you have been healed by his wounds, you have been healed. And if you are in need of prayer, we have people that would be up front to pray with you, that would believe God with you, that you would receive the healing from the Lord. God bless you. Have a super Sunday. See you guys next week.